Welcome back to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie Podcast. I'm Betha Commando. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Hunter! Six feet of rugged manhood to stir the heart of every woman. Oh, my goodness, I'm Last month, actor and golden boy Tab Hunter died of cardiac arrest at the age of 86. Today's podcast is dedicated to the actor. I'll be speaking with the director of the documentary Tab Hunter Confidential, as well as pulling up an archive interview I did with Tab Hunter in 2015. Tab Hunter was a hunky heartthrob in the 1950s. In fact, he was dubbed the Psy Guy for making teenage girls swoon. He was also that clean-cut boy next door that mothers would be happy to have their daughters bring home. But what his female fans didn't know was that he was also gay. Hello, I'm Tab Hunter, and I've got a secret. Well, I would never have talked about my personal life in the 1950s. I obviously was very closeted, and I'm sure it's a very difficult thing to think, what's the problem? But there was a problem. It's been very difficult for me my whole life talking about that side of me. For me to come out of myself like this and to share all of this is extremely difficult. I've never been as open as I am with you because uh, it's been written about and what the heck, you know, I'm an old man, I don't, you know, this is my life, big deal. In 2015, Film Out San Diego hosted the California premiere of the documentary Tab Hunter Confidential. They also gave the actor at the center of that documentary a Lifetime Achievement Award. Younger generations may not remember Tab Hunter, or may only know him from his roles in John Waters' Polyester or the film Grease 2. But Hunter was impossibly good-looking. Dreamy blue eyes, perfect blonde hair, and a smile that could charm anyone. He rose to fame just as the Hollywood studio system was beginning to fade. He became a star in the 1950s, mostly playing all-American, heroic, and romantic types in films such as Battle Cry and The Sea Chase. Jeffrey Schwartz directed the documentary that's based on the actor's memoir of the same name. Schwartz was familiar with Tab Hunter because of the Waters cult film Polyester, but in researching the documentary, he discovered films that cast the actor against type. Like a movie he did in in the late 50s called Gunman's Walk, which was a Western, and he plays a real psychopath in that movie. And he's, a, he's a racist and a killer and just the worst kind of guy, and he's so good in it. From now on, I'm going my own way. Me, Ed Hackett. And before I'm through, Ed Hackett's going to be a bigger name in this territory than Lee Hackett's ever was. What, as a gunman, a killer? Is that all my name ever meant to you? You think a gun is all I ever had to be proud of? Tell me what else. What else do you wear it for? What else have I heard about you? I'm sick of hearing it. How many men you've killed and how many Indians? You want me to run through the whole list for you all no, that? No, no, no. If that's the way you've been thinking, then you've got the wrong man for a father. <laughs> father. I never had a father. You watch that movie and you, you wonder, like, why wasn't he given more opportunities to do that kind of work and show his range as an actor, but it just shows how Hollywood can just pigeonhole you into, well, you know, he's supposed to be the nice boy next door, and that's all anyone saw him as. But if Schwartz had to pick just one film that was representative of Hunter's career, it would be one that showcased his charm and irresistible sweetness. Damn Yankees. You know, because it was made 
at the height of his stardom when he was a star at Warner Brothers. It was a movie that Jack Warner wanted Tab to star in. He'd bought the property of Damn Yankees, the musical, for Tab to be in. And in the movie, Tab just sparkles. You know, he's such a, an honest, straightforward, guileless kind of guy in the movie. Well, we, we have to keep training and strict rules and all that. You can tell me all the rules. You're, you're making things very complicated. Then be good boy. I'm, I'm trying to. And there are these just beautiful close-ups of him, and he gets to sing, and he gets to dance. And for me, it's like an interesting story about a man who's hiding a very big secret, but he's sort of having to play it two ways. And I, I always look at that movie, and I wonder if Tab was thinking about his own situation in Hollywood and having to sort of live a double life, and, and how, if, if, that, if any of that kind of found its way into the way he played the character. So Damn Yankees, for sure, is the one I would recommend people to see. But my personal favorite is Polyester, because I, I get such a big kick out of seeing Tab and Divine play love scenes and, and run through the fields together in love, and it's just uh, it's hilarious. Now, when you decided to create this documentary, did you know in advance, uh, or how did you figure out how you wanted to incorporate all the elements, the stills, the clips, his interviews, interviewing other people? Well, that's my favorite part of making a documentary is sort of going on the archaeological dig and trying to find all the uh, archival material to support the story. And in this case, it turns out that Alan uh, has been collecting material on Tab Hunter for the last 30-plus years since they met. And when Tab uh, uh, sort of retired from Hollywood, he it turns out he didn't keep anything. He didn't keep any stills or uh, posters or memorabilia. And Alan set about to recollect all that material and over the years tab would keep saying what are you buying all that crap for on ebay or going to auction houses and alan said i know this is important this is your legacy so when we started to um, uh, approach making the film and particularly in in editing it turns out i had this treasure trove of materials to choose from and that was a huge help and we found some there are a few things that we needed to go out and look for that alan didn't have but for the most part it's, it turns out he had been preparing for this documentary unconsciously for decades. <laughs> well, some of the the most interesting stuff in some ways were kind of all the fan magazines and stuff that had all these amazing headlines and covers. Yeah, you know, Tab was the cover boy of so many of these movie magazines. And in fact, a lot of people knew Tab more from the movie magazines than they did from the films themselves. And he was um, sort of sold as the all-American boy next door and the boy every girl would want to marry or date. And, the, you know, every mother would love for their daughter to bring home Tab Hunter. And, um, you know, he, so many teenage girls and boys uh, had Tab's uh, pictures on their wall that were torn out from the movie magazines. So we wanted to uh, show as much of that material as possible. And it's it's really fun to see the uh, the the headlines and the sort of, I, I, the, the stories are mostly fake. I mean, he, he would, the stories were written with publicity in mind, not necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily biographical, but uh, they're a lot of fun to, to look at. Well, it just seems to capture kind of a different era. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was, this was the era of the movie magazine, and this is how the stars were sold. And the studios packaged their product. You know, when a, when a star became a star, they were under contract to the studio, and they were essentially a product of that studio, and Tab was no exception. So part of selling this product to the public was putting them on the cover of every magazine, sending them out on dates with starlets, and so many of the movie layouts were Tab, doing, you know, going out on, on dates with people like uh, Debbie Reynolds or Venetia Stevenson or Terry Moore, some of the people that are 
in our film, and they talk about what it was like. It was sort of just a regular date, except there was a third person there, a photographer following you around the whole time. In putting this together, he seems to be a, a rather private person. Was it difficult to get him to talk openly about his life on camera? Well, he'd sort of been through the trial by fire of coming out publicly for the first time when he wrote his book. So he sort of had that practice. But that book came out quite some time ago. So, you know, he's, he's now asked about these things where the press would never ask about it before. So when we finally decided to sit down with Tab, it was not easy for him because he's been trained his whole life that there are just some things you don't talk about. You know, he's, he's a very private man. He grew up in a very repressive era. He was living under the spotlight of being a celebrity when if the truth about his life was discovered, you know, it would be over for him. And he's a very religious man. You know, he had conflict in his life uh, about his religion, uh, Roman Catholic religion, condemning him for who he was. So he's had to deal with a lot, but he's come through it on the other side as a happy healthy survivor of the the Hollywood roller coaster. So, you know, at this point he figured he's got nothing to lose. Let's let's sort of tell the truth and and maybe it will help somebody in the long run. He's very conscious of that that maybe it can help either a younger person who's just coming to terms with who they are or even an older person who's had to deal with this repression all their lives and finally is able to maybe live openly the way Tab is. What did you kind of decide you wanted to focus on and kind of the the story arc you wanted to tell within the context of the documentary? Well, you know, of course, our first cut was extremely long. We interviewed probably about 60 people. And of course, Tab's interviews were marathon sessions. So there was so much that we couldn't include in the film. And it is actually fairly um, straightforward on how we chose to, what to include and what not to include, unless it related to Tab's growth as an actor and coming into his own as an artist or coming into his own uh, with his identity and his sexual identity. If it didn't relate to a journey, uh, his journey of self-acceptance, then we felt like it didn't belong. So there were lots of stories that some are in the book that we, we didn't include. And it's always heartbreaking to have to lose that stuff, but it's always in the best interest of the film. Yeah, because it seems like you could go off on a lot of different tangents on all the people he worked with and a lot of the different titles. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had some we had some great stuff that we hated to lose, like when he was on Broadway with Tallulah Bankhead in a Tennessee Williams play, this notorious uh, play that very few people have seen because it only played like three nights on Broadway and then it closed, you know. So, you know, we had we interviewed, you know, people who were in that show and, or who had seen that show, and we just couldn't include it. And there were just so many tangents that um, if you read the book, luckily the book is there, and hopefully we'll be able to include some of that material in our, our DVD release in the future. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. When I count three, will all of the ladies in the audience please go, <sighs> Now for my 2015 archive interview with Tab Hunter. I spoke with the actor by phone from his Santa Barbara home, where he used to get up early every morning to visit his stables. Are you Tab Hunter? I, uh, yeah. I think I've died and gone to heaven. So you'll be receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award from Film Out. So how does it feel to be recognized for your film career and to be recognized by a LGBT film festival? Well, I, I mean, I really appreciate the thought and, 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 and they're doing that, but I'm just never comfortable in things like that. It's just not my comfort zone. And, you know, to be receiving a Lifetime Achievement thing, I mean, my gosh, when you think of all the people in the world that have achieved a great deal, it makes me feel pretty ridiculous, but I'm certainly appreciative of it. So what prompted you to write your memoir and then allow a documentary to be made about that? 
you know, my friend Alan, at the time for the book, which was in the mid in the mid eighties, he said, "No, somebody's going to be doing a book on you, and I think you should do the book." And I I didn't want to do it at all, and then because I'm a very private person, and then I thought about it and thought about it, and finally I thought, you know. Get it from the horse's mouth and not from some horse's ass after I'm dead and gone. Because people always put a spin on your life. And, you know, what the heck have I got to, you know, to, to lose or hide? I mean, that's my life, and this is the journey. So I worked in collaboration with my friend Eddie Muller, who's a wonderful historian. And I had 500 pages at my computer, and we did that. And then that came out and became a best, New York Times bestseller. And then... All of a sudden, later, Alan said, you know, I think it would be wonderful to do a documentary on that. Because he collects tremendous, he has all this memorabilia, you know, that I never kept a thing. And uh, we, you know, he put it all together. He got, he hired Jeffrey Schwartz, who was, was a filmmaker, very good. And uh, they worked together and uh, put together the documentary. And the response to that has been overwhelming. Which did you find more difficult to do, to put the book together or to actually go on camera and talk about your life? I think going on camera uh, and talking about it, but that was done over six years. The documentary was shot over six years? Yes, yes, over a six-year period. Uh, Alan put together, uh, you know, all the people he wanted for the interviews and asked the que- you know, got the questions and then had Jeffrey do all of that. And uh, he knew the arc that he wanted in the uh, documentary, which is based on the book. Did you start to grow more comfortable being on camera talking about yourself over that period of time? Well, you know, I've been on camera an awful lot in my life, but talking about myself is the uncomfortable thing. <clears throat> but I, you know, I figured, look, tell it like it is. I mean, that's how it was. And you do seem to be a very private person. So how difficult was that? Because you're not just talking about your private life, but also about some things that you were really kind of keeping secret for a while. Well, I think there's so much today that's out there in your face, and I've, I'm not comfortable with that. I never have been uh, with that kind of a, an, an expression. Uh, I was brought up by a very strict German mother who was very old-fashioned. And, she, you know, so she, I remember her telling me, you know, nothing for show. So what happens? I wind up going into show business. I mean, but she was really an amazing woman, which we talk, we, we talk about her in the documentary and my brother. And the person who started me in the industry, Dick Clayton, who there would never have been a tab hunter if it hadn't been for Dick Clayton. And he was agent for Jimmy Dean, Jane Fonda, Burt Reynolds, and you could just go on and on and on. Okay, you you said there would never be a tab hunter. Now that name was manufactured. Well, it definitely <laughs> was not my name. No. And uh, have have you grown comfortable with that name by now, or how well, do you? Years think? ago, I was told, "Wait till you see it on page of the order of. It'll make you feel much better." <laughs> I'm wondering, do you still go by that name, or do you like in private? No, I use that. Very few people call me Art. Mm-hmm. You know, my real name was Art Galeen. Uh, at least that's what I grew up with, uh, Art Galeen, because that was my mother's maiden name. She went to that after she left my father, who was very, very abusive. And my brother and I grew up with uh, my mother's maiden name. How did it feel to be an actor during the studio system where everything was really packaged and there was a, a, you know, a, a real emphasis on creating kind of a product when you were an actor? I think it was wonderful. I love that. I mean, studios created many, many wonderful, wonderful people that we looked up to and admired. 
I mean, gosh, I happen to be fortunate to be a part of the end of the studio system, along with people, you know, like Bob Wagner and Natalie Wood, you know. I mean, you could just go, you know, there were, there were very few uh, studios didn't really know what to do when they were falling apart like that. Uh, people wanted real people in real situations. Uh, the influx of uh, European films with that. Uh, live television and all sorts of television coming in very, very predominantly. And the studios also had to get rid of their uh, theaters, a lot of the theaters they owned all over the country. So it was a very uh, changing time in the industry, and I was fortunate to be a part of the uh, old system. Did you have conflicted feelings about working in the studio system in the sense that they did offer this kind of protection and support, but also very controlling about what you were doing? Not really. They weren't really that controlling. What the wonderful thing was they gave you opportunities that you wouldn't get otherwise. However, that period where they didn't know what to do, so uh, it was very difficult getting really good roles at the studio. I, I always say that live television afforded me the opportunities of studio that the studio never did. But they were wonderful because they knew how to build a career. And they had done it for years. And, you know, no one's going to tell a mogul like Jack Warner or Harry Cohn or, you know, Louis B. Mayer how to run their studios. Studios today are no longer, they're large, large corporations that just throw money away on a and I think uh, very little that is uh, rewarding. So do you feel that uh, you kind of rose to stardom at a good time, or would you have preferred to, like, have become a star later in, like, the 70s or something and, and have been starting out at that point? It was very fortunate. Uh, unfortunately, though, I was a product of Hollywood. And where does, serve, where does one serve one's apprenticeship when you're just thrown into it? It's very difficult doing it that way. I certainly admired all the actors coming out of New York from the studio and who'd had a good foundation and basis. I had to learn while doing. Do you ever feel you might have been hindered by your good looks? You know, I never paid attention to any of that stuff. My mother was very strong about outward appearances or you know, not important. It's what you are inside that counts. And she was really, really a strong, wonderful, incredible woman. And, uh, you know, I just don't pay attention to stuff like that. You know, you are what you are. I think the important thing is your contribution. Contributions that we, that what our contributions in life are very, very important to each other, to our work, to our our beliefs. But do you think uh, you got a bit typecast because of that? I mean, you got dubbed, what, the Psy guy? Well, that was that was before I was at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Now, once I went to Warner Brothers, then I was kind of like the all-American boy. I think that all kind of went out the window once I started doing work that was uh, not typically your all-American boy. I mean, Portrait of a Murderer, uh, Gunman's Walk. I mean, those were certainly... Uh, you know, not uh, forbidden area. Those are certainly not uh, your typical all-American boy. But you had to push a bit to get those kind of roles. Yes and no. Uh, Dick Clayton was there for me. He was the one who discovered me when I was at the stable as a 13-year-old boy shoveling the real stuff as opposed to the Hollywood stuff. He was a well, you know, he was an actor uh, who was out there doing photographic layout for a movie magazine with Anne Blythe. He later became an agent, but before he became an agent, he introduced me to an agent. And then once he became an agent, I left uh, Henry and went with Dick Clayton, who was part of our family. Uh, everyone needs uh, a, a 
a mentor, someone there to to kind of feed them uh, mentally, sp- physically, spiritually, mentally, in every possible way. You've mentioned the live TV work a couple times, and I want you to talk a little bit about doing that because some of the clips they showed in the film were amazing because I had never seen that before. So t- tell me what it was like to work in live television at that time. It was the most frightening thing in the whole wide world, no question. If you're doing a play, you can say, oh, what a lousy performance I gave tonight. Thank God there's tomorrow. If you're doing a movie, you can stop in the middle of the take and say, I'm sorry, can we retake that? i, I just not with the program. But live TV, when those two little red dots went on, you had to go and do it. And it was very frightening, but I was very fortunate to work with some of the top directors of the in the industry. They all started in live TV. John Frankenheimer, Arthur Penn, Sidney Lumet. Those were geniuses. They were really great people. Well, and seeing some of the clips from those live TV shows, it I feel like there's so much great work there that we don't seem to get access to. And I don't know if all that stuff is lost and all we have are these clips or if there's actually like complete uh, films that we can actually see. You know, it's really interesting you mentioned that because live TV was the most rewarding because it was, you know doing that every single week, whether it be a Playhouse 90 or a Studio One in the East or Climax or any of those shows were brilliant. No, look, I'm guilty. But you can't plead guilty. Oh, why not? Donald, it's standard procedure. When a defendant's life is at stake, we automatically plead not guilty. Oh, I'm guilty. I want to plead guilty. But you're walking right into the gas chamber. I don't want out on some some legal technicality. It's not a legal technicality. A plea of not guilty gives you a trial by jury. They'll hear the good side about you, as well as the bad. They'll weigh your psychiatric testimony, your work record, your friends. They'll they'll call Flory as a witness. She wants to help you. She'd hear about the burglaries. Over 500, Mr. Cooney, night after night after I'd leave her. She'd hear about a lot of other things, my, my drinking and a lot of other things. Then she'd have to stand up there in front of all those people and say, he was my friend, I loved him, we were going to get married, no. All right, son, I understand it's bound to hurt her, but a plea of guilty can kill you. It doesn't matter. It does matter. I've worked for 20 years in the law, and I tell you that life does matter, including your life. We just don't have that. It's the other thing they had that I loved in those days were those wonderful variety shows, whether it be Ed Sullivan, Dinah Shore, Pat Boone, you know, uh, Jimmy Durante. Those were great shows to be a part of, where the studio would throw you onto those to uh, promote their motion pictures. Well, Tab, I know that record that you made, I sold something close to two million. I suppose you're in New York to make another recording. Well, actually, I'm in New York to start on a tour of the United States in connection with the picture as spokesman on behalf of the Spirit of St. Louis for Warner Brothers. Oh, Jimmy Stewart's yes, picture. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm oh, quite excited about visiting the different cities. Oh, so you're going to make a tour doing that? Are you going to make another record? Oh, I've already made a few. Uh, but listen, the, you should be uh, commented on uh, your eighth year starting tonight, isn't that right? Tonight is the eighth yeah. year. Yeah. I want to tell you, John... Well, and you were also an accomplished singer as well. Oh, well, I wouldn't go All that right. far at the beginning. You had a chart, chart-topping song. Let's <laughs> Young love, first love, first love, 
you enjoy that? I loved it. I loved it. My first uh, time I ever had to sing live, we do have in the documentary, and it was on the Perry Como show, and I was a nervous wreck. And when I finished the song, Perry came out and put his arm around me and said, there, now, that wasn't so tough, was it? (laughs) But he was the coolest person ever. And what was it like for you working in the studio system and in Hollywood at a time when you weren't able to really come out as being gay. Did you feel a lot of conflict during that time? I never discussed my sexuality in any way, shape, or form. And if anybody ever crossed that barrier and mentioned it to me, I would be, I, I would really just, it was very difficult for me to handle. I just would explode. You know, I, I, it's nobody's business. My job was to do my job and do it to the best of my ability and to grow grow mentally, physically, and spiritually. That's what the journey is for me on Earth. Well, you mentioned spiritually. Catholicism has been a strong part of your life. It's a major part of my life. It's without a doubt. You know, people want to always sweep their religion under the carpet. I think it's a very important part of our lives, and particularly today. People are so concerned about me, 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 the very first person singular. And I think an important thing we have to do, or at least for me, I have to do, is learn to divorce to divorce yourself from yourself. In a certain way, you kind of had to reinvent yourself after leaving the studio system. Film Out recently screened Polyester, and it was a packed and adoring crowd there. (laughs) Well, John Waters and Divine were were totally magical to work with. They were so great. They were both, I love them. I love them dearly. Why don't you show me your bedroom, honey? Mother, may I? Yes, you may. I've had a bad year. Please don't be too harsh in your judgments. But you act squeezy. Look at me. Read my lips. I love you. Did you ever hesitate to take on that role in polyester? Never for a moment. Why? I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And what was it like working with Divine and John Waters? Divine is one of my favorite leading ladies. You know, like Lana Turner, Rita Hayward, Natalie Wood, Geraldine Page, Divine. <laughs> he was just great to work with. He really was. And John was like your friendly undertaker with that little Adolf Manjou mustache. He was very, very good. I really enjoyed working with John. I mean, he, in fact, we wanted him to direct our film, Lust in the Dust. Well, and it seems like in an interesting way you fit in perfectly to the John Waters universe in the sense that he kind of created a, a Hollywood system outside of Hollywood, and you were kind of like the first real Hollywood star to, to kind of infiltrate that. Well, I love when John talks about that. He said, I was so excited that we got a real movie star. <laughs> I was just th- thankful to be doing another film. I thought, wow, and with Divine, Divine did Mundo Trasho. <laughs> well, and you seem to display a real knack for being able to parody the image that you created within the Hollywood studio system in that film. Well, the character was fun. He was a lot of fun to play that character. You know, uh, I, you know, I've always not admired those kind of in-your-face kind of people who are very out there. It's certainly not me, but it was a lot of fun to play that character. Would you be surprised if a cult film like Polyester turns out to be the film that's like the most enduring one of what you've made? I mean, would that surprise you? Or no, you know, whatever whatever happens, happens. My favorite film of all. I, there are two films that I enjoyed. Very well, three films I enjoyed doing. I loved doing Damn Yankees because it was my first musical. Led astray, but we ain't 
shows that you were also a skater and a horseman. What's interesting is you were you had kind of a diverse range of interests and skills, but you seem to be able to do very well and be very successful at all of those. Well, I was very involved with the horses. There was my brother introduced me to them and they became the love of my life. And I was around them. Then I went away from them for a while when I got into skating, competitive skating. <clears throat> but the reason I stopped that is because it's only your own accomplishment. Or, and I went back to the horses immediately after I stopped that, because there you're working with an animal that has a life of its own, and it's quite wonderful, that lovely communication. Do you think the horses are what grounded you outside of Hollywood? I think shoveling the real stuff at the barn and being around the horses is, was very important for me. Do you still ride every day? I gave up riding after I showed at Upperville, Virginia last year because, I'm, you know, I'm 83, I'll be 84 shortly. And I thought, my balance isn't quite what it was, and I don't want to wind up, you know, you know, you know getting hurt. So I figured, no, I can just, I'll just give up the riding. But I go to the barn every day. My mare, uh, I bred my mare. She had a baby uh, on April the 7th. And I'm thrilled with that. I go out to the barn every day and just put my arms around the baby and get her used to being handled. And, of course, the mother is one of the best. Of, and I've had so many horses, but the mother's incredible. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for speaking with me. I've been speaking with actor Tab Hunter, who will be receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award this Friday at Film Out. So thank you. Well, I'm very excited. Beth, thank you very much. I'm really excited about coming down there and, and, and going to the festival. I hear very, very good reports on it, and uh, I, I just am thrilled that they, that they asked me to come down and receive this, and I look forward to coming down there. Hey, good-looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking some up with me? That was actor Tab Hunter in a 2015 interview I did. He passed away last month of cardiac arrest. Thanks for listening to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Please share the podcast with others. Your word of mouth is the best way to get us more listeners. Coming up next on Cinema Junkie podcast, we'll celebrate the 100th birthday of H.P. Lovecraft and look at some of the films based on his literary works. 
Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. I'm free and ready, so we can go steady. How's about saving all your time for me? No more looking, I know I've been tooken. How's about keeping steady company? I'm gonna throw my date book over the fence, find me one for five or ten. I'll keep it till it's covered with age Cause I'm writing your name down on every page Hey, hey, good looking What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? I got a hot rod Ford and a two dollar bill A two bit guitar like Donald and Bill I know a spot where dancing is free So if you wanna have fun, come along with me Hey, hey Some